Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Chapter 9. And that's page 844 in the church, the Black Bibles. Page 844, large print is 1003 if you're using those. Large print is also always available at the back. You can pick those up uh, on your way in if, like me, you need that. Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought to Jesus a blind man and begged him to touch him. Now remember what Jesus has just shown us. We're going to see this again. Verse 18. Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? They came to Bethsaida. Some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? The man looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His his sight was restored, and this time he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? They told him, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Amen. May God bless to us his holy word. Let's sing again. 
We all know, don't we, that certain things in life are essential. Certain things in life are non-negotiable. You just must have them. Food, air, water. Next level beyond that, clothes, warmth, love. Beyond that, well, there's the John Lewis Essentials Collection, isn't there? full of things that are all must-haves, they tell us, and which, of course, we don't have to have at all until eventually they tell them enough, they tell it to us enough, it seeps into our consciousness, and yes, of course, I must have these things. What is essential in life? Belonging to the Lord Jesus Christ and being, being part of His family and being a follower of Jesus, what is essential in that? What must you do? Or who must you be? Or what must you have non-negotiably for that to happen, to be a follower of Jesus? What is essential? Baptist or Presbyterian? Essential? No, of course not. Important, yes. Charismatic? Non-charismatic? Essential? Well, of course not. Important, yes, very important. But some things are essential. Some things are must-haves. This evening's section that we've come to in Mark's Gospel is all about seeing what is essential in following the Lord Jesus. Here is what is non-negotiable. And the reason I've gone for this word essential, it it comes directly from the passage. Look at chapter 8, verse 31. The Lord Jesus began to teach his disciples that the Son of Man, look at the next word, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. That word must governs all the rest of the clause. It must happen. There is something that is essential for Jesus to do. Now look at verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It is very clear from what the Lord Jesus is saying there, for for the way the next words fall out in the next few verses, we're going to look at it together, it is very clear that Jesus is saying, this too is essential. I think the NIV actually translates verse 34 as, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. That's right, isn't it? That's the sense of it. Jesus is not saying, here's an option for some of you, but not for others. Something that is indispensable for Jesus to do. And something that is fundamental for us to do. And friends, the thing that is essential for us to do in verse 34 flows from the thing that is essential for him to do. So two points for us to see from these verses this evening. Number one, the essential work of the king. And number two, the essential way of the disciple. 
the essential work of the king, and and then to us, the essential way of the disciple. And this passage that we're looking about is simply all about seeing those musts, seeing what is essential. We're given here this evening a beautiful story about literal seeing as a way of teaching us about spiritual seeing. Because not everybody sees either of those two essential things, either about what Jesus must do or what what we must do. Mark is showing us here very beautifully and skillfully the disciples moving, aren't they, from blindness about who Jesus is to seeing the truth about who Jesus is. Remember verse 18, I read it earlier, having eyes do you not see and ears do you not hear? Are you still blind, Jesus is saying to them? And Jesus is about to help them see. But here's the thing, friends. It is not a one-stage process. That's the thing to see this evening. Jesus is not flicking the light on in one simple move. The disciples are about to receive their sight gradually. That is why you have verses 22 to 26. You have this story of the two-stage healing of the blind man. The disciples are going to see, but they are going to see like this man comes to see. They are not going to get it all in one go. And what Mark is giving us here in particular is Peter's journey from blindness to sight. First, Peter is about to show that he sees a little, but then he goes on to show that he only sees partially. Peter is like this man who says, verse 24, I see people, but they look like trees walking. That blind man, friends, you are about to meet him again in Peter the disciple. And the disciples here are not the only ones who are blind, are they? Look at verse uh, 27, when Jesus says to them, who do people say that I am? Look at the range of options. Some say John the Baptist. That might seem a bit strange, but remember Herod? Herod thought Jesus was John the Baptist back from the dead again. Maybe he's alive again. What about Elijah? Well, we know from the Old Testament that Elijah didn't actually die, did he? The the prophet Malachi, uh, Elijah was taken up to heaven and the prophet Malachi explicitly predicted Elijah would come again. Maybe this is him. Or maybe he's simply a prophet. Moses had promised that one day there would be another great prophet who would come. Come to address God's people. Three respectable religious answers. All of them treating Jesus as a messenger. Somebody sent from God to convey teaching about God. Three respectable answers that are completely blind to who Jesus is. And Mark is saying to you this evening, friends, brothers and sisters, you have people like this waiting for you tomorrow morning. You've probably got a blind colleague at work sitting beside you at your desk if you're back in the office. Maybe it's your classroom. You have full of children who are blind like this. If people are blind to who Jesus is, isn't it true that this is the most common form that it takes? I read Matthew Paris this week, writing in, uh, in a magazine this week, saying 
the, the thing about the Anglican church is, the Anglican church leadership, you've got to realize it does not matter if it is actually true. People just love going to church. They love the candles. They love the mystique. They love the, the tradition. It doesn't matter if it's actually true. Matthew Parr said, I think Jesus was a wonderful man. He had some mixed up ideas about paternity. But apart from that, he was wonderful. A great teacher. Maybe even the greatest teacher who ever lived. The greatest moral example we could ever have. He taught great things about God. His words are inspiring, worth reflecting on. Mark says it is all blind. Blind. Jesus turns to them and says, what about you? What do you think of those three options? Are they enough for you? Peter gets it first. Peter answered him, no, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. Friends, in that verse, Peter becomes like the man in verse 24. He, he sees something true. He sees something real about Jesus. His eyes are beginning to open. Here he is beginning to see dimly. He gives an answer that shows he is no longer completely blind. You are the Christ. Very important to to look at the exact wording. You are the Christ. If you don't know this already, Christ is not Jesus' surname, is it? It is his title. It's the Greek word for Messiah. It means the anointed one, the king. And by the time of Jesus' day, when someone talked about the Messiah, they were talking about the perfect king, the one chosen by God who, who would come to deliver Israel from all its enemies. And then once it had delivered, once he had delivered Israel, he would rule over the whole world. When Jews heard the word Messiah, they thought, Great David's greater son. That's who we're waiting for. A warrior king who's going to defeat the Gentiles. And oh look, here are the Romans in our city, an occupying force, standing with their boots on our necks. The Messiah will eradicate them. He's going to usher in God's perfect rule. Peter looks at Jesus and says, That is you. You are the King, the Christ. He gets it. He sees it. He is no longer completely blind. But friends, he only sees partially. His eyes are not fully open because here's the thing. Look, verse 31, look what Jesus says is essential to him as King. Now, it's hard for us to feel the shock of this. You are the warrior king. Verse 31, and Jesus began to teach them that the Christ, the Son of Man, the warrior king, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. See, if if you can imagine the shock here, friends, imagine Sir Alex Ferguson, uh, the greatest football manager there's been in British football. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I hope there's not any doubt about that. I say that in a very biased way, of course. Imagine if Alex Ferguson's successor had been his son. Some of his sons were involved in football. Alex Ferguson Jr. takes over from him as the manager of Manchester United. A wonderful continuation of the family line and tradition. 
And the manager's great son takes his place in the dugout on the first day and he says to his team on day one, here is what we're going to do, friends. We are going to systematically lose every single game from here on. We are never going to aim to win another trophy ever again. Kind of turned out to be a bit right, didn't it? As long as I am manager, we are never going to seek to beat another team. Now, now, what would happen if that went public? The outcry, no, 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 no. You, you're clearly the wrong man at the wrong time in the wrong job, if that's what you think. That's not what this club is about. That's not, where, that's not what we're here for. Think of the outcry. Friends, that is exactly what Peter does to Jesus here in verse 32. He pulls him off to the side and began to rebuke him. You, the the Christ, must suffer and be killed? Are you kidding? That's not what a mighty warrior is meant to do. That's not what we've been waiting for. Peter remains, verse 24, I see people, but they look like trees walking. I, I, I kind of see and I don't see. Look how the Lord Jesus describes Peter's blindness, verse 33 turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You're you're looking for an earthly king, Peter. You're, You're not thinking about this in the right way. After Peter has rebuked Jesus, now Jesus rebukes him. Do you see how strong the language is? Get behind me, Satan. It is incredibly strong. See, here's what Jesus is saying, friends. You may see who I am, but if you do not see what I have come to do, then you show that your allegiance is to the devil and not to me. Isn't that that incredible? You are saying to me, Peter, exactly what Satan has been whispering in my ear all along. Do not go to the cross. Take a different route. Remember, isn't that what Satan said to Jesus in the wilderness? I can give you all the kingdoms of the world now. Don't get them the hard way by going to the cross. You don't need to do that. You're a king. Take the glory, not the pain. Take the crown, not the cross. And so, friends, Peter's blindness is not just unfortunate, is it? It is satanic. Not seeing what Jesus has come to do is satanic. And brothers and sisters this evening, there is a very big, very important lesson for us from this. Here it is. Be very wary of ever making what the Lord Jesus did in his life the essential message of the gospel while leaving off to the side what he does in his death. Okay, Be very wary of ever taking what Jesus does in his life, who he is, as the core content of the gospel, while we push off to the side his words that he must suffer and die. Now, in case that sounds strange, how does that actually happen today? What does it look like? Healings, miracles, feeding the hungry... 
Okay, join up the dots with me. Caring for the marginalized, the outcast, social reformation, new housing, better education, welfare reform. Sure, we can see all of that in Jesus' life and from his teaching. Those are the things we must really be focusing on. Social welfare, mercy ministries, front and center. That's what Jesus is about. Really? The Son of Man must suffer many things. He must be rejected. He must be killed and rise again. Very, very few people are ever killed for mercy ministries. No, friends, the musts of kingship. The musts of kingship are a kangaroo cord, a miscarriage of justice, a a crown of thorns and a cross of shame and sorrow. They are essential to who Jesus is and what he came to do. So look now at what this means for us. Here are the musts of discipleship. Number two, the essential way of the disciple. The thing that is essential for Jesus as king means that something is essential for us as his servants. Jesus is opening further the eyes of the partially blind. We do not really see who he is as the universal king and we do not really see who he is as the suffering, dying king unless we see who I must be in light of that. One way to know if you know who Jesus is and why he came is to look at who you are and to see if there is any match-up between who you are and what Jesus has said about himself. What do I mean? Well, let's, let's say that you're called in the next week to meet the First Minister of Scotland. You get the chance to meet Nicola Sturgeon. She's a, she's a hero of yours. You long to meet her. You can't wait to see her. And you, you turn up, you're led into the room where Nicola Sturgeon is. She's granted you half an hour or whatever it is. And as you approach her, this powerful woman... This, this influential woman in our nation's life, as you approach her, as you come up to her, you, you've never met her in your life, but you throw your, your arms wide open, you give her a big hug, and you get your phone out for a selfie with her straight away, and then you offer a piece of chewing gum. The question to you is, do you really know who she is? If you treat her like that? No, no, of course not. For who you are has not changed in her presence. What happens if you take it up a level and imagine you meet royalty? You're in the presence of the queen and you do all of that to her. Do you really know who she is? No, when we meet people like that, we become deferential, don't we? We become polite, respectful. In the presence of royalty, we bow or kneel. And then we are embracing that person for who they really, truly are. Oh, you see, there are certain things you must do in their presence. There are essential things you must do. Non-negotiable things to show that you know them truly. Mark is saying to us here in the words of the Lord Jesus that the evidence that we know who Jesus is and what he has come to do is when we become a certain kind of person in the light of that. There are musts for knowing Jesus. There are essential things to be really following Jesus. 
I want to show you four of them here. Number one, we must have a new master. The essentials of the way of the disciple, number one, we must have a new master. I wonder if you just notice that verse 34 onwards. Verse 34 down to verse 38. Did you notice how often Jesus refers to himself through these verses? These words about the costly nature nature of discipleship. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever loses his life for my sake, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, See, friends, if the Lord Jesus was just a prophet, just a fantastic teacher, it's very hard to square that, isn't it, with Jesus' focus on himself. The thing about teachers and prophets was that they didn't speak about themselves. They pointed away to someone else. Look look at God, not not at me. That's what made them prophets. Amos doesn't say anything about himself, does he? The, The book we've been looking at, it's, I saw the Lord, listen to him. And so for this crowd here and for these disciples, what Jesus is saying in verses 34 to 38 is shockingly clear. I myself am worthy of being followed. I have power and authority over your very life. Give it up for me and I will ensure you live forever. Friends, one of the ways we know we are following the Lord Jesus is that we have a very clear answer to this question. Who has the right to tell me how to live my life? It's what comes out all the time, doesn't it? In all our ethical debates, who has the right to say this? My body, my choice. Who has the right to tell me how to spend my time? To tell me what my priorities should be? To tell me who I should marry and who I shouldn't marry? to tell me what to do with my money, to to tell me how I respond to that incredibly difficult family member. Friends, if this evening your first answer to those questions is not one word, Jesus. If your first answer is not him, Jesus has the right to tell me what to do. Mark says, well then, who are you following? This is the first thing. Following Jesus means he becomes our new master. Number two, following Jesus means a surprising reversal. Do you notice how he just puts everything back to front? You want to save your life, verse 35, lose it. You lose your life, you will save it. The way to ensure that you live is through dying. The way to be sure you will die is through trying to live. You see it in verse verse 36, the wealth and riches and profit of the whole world can be reversed. The whole world can be reversed and mean the loss of your soul. Look at the reversal in verse 38. If someone is ashamed at Jesus now, then at the end the roles will be reversed. Jesus is ashamed of them. Friends, he's simply saying that life in Jesus' kingdom takes this world we live in and flips it, turns it inside out, puts it upside down on its head, turns it around and gives it back to us with everything back to front. 
takes the world's values and reverses them. My body, my choice. No, it is not my body. But I belong, body and soul, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. The way to live is to save yourself, to, to, to look after number one, to get ahead, to be secure, to make it, to have all you want. Jesus says that way of living ensures that you will die. You will have everything now and nothing then. Do you think that dying for me is a waste of your life? All that potential, all that you have to offer your friends and family and your children and you give your life for me in the gospel in some far-flung part of the world and nobody knows your name and knows what you've done. you think that's a waste? I'll take it all, Jesus says, and I'll switch it and your gain will be eternal. You know you know who Jesus is when you see him for who he is and what he is and when you are willing to lose in order to win. That's what Mark is saying. If you are not willing to lose in order to win, can you see who Jesus is? Oh, but when you can see with, with the eyes of your heart that the way down is the way up, that, that the way to end up with nothing is actually to possess everything but not Him, that the way to give is to receive, that, that, that to give is to receive. I mean, when you know with your heart that it is on a cross and in a valley and in death, that then you receive the crown and the glory. When you know those things, then you see him. When we see that, we are following him. A new master, a surprising reversal. Number three, a costly commitment. The essentials of discipleship are a costly commitment. We, we tend to trivialize the imagery, don't we? Verse 34. Uh, I've got a sore toe that's just my cross to bear. I've got an annoying in-law coming for Christmas. The cross to bear every year. But that's not what the image means here, is it? In these days, if you saw someone carrying a cross beam, it meant only one thing. You weren't going to see them again. They were in their final hours. By the end of the day, the person you saw with the cross beam on their back would be dead. And to take up a cross means you're on death row. Sentence has been passed. There will be no reprieve. It's clear, isn't it? Jesus actually intends this metaphor in this grim way because of the next verse, verse 35. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. Friends, following Jesus be, means being willing to lose my life for his sake. I want to ask you, are you losing your life or keeping it? What, what are you holding on to about your life? I, I must have this. So much so that you know you are holding it more dearly, more tightly than Jesus himself. Remember those beautiful words of Jim Elliot? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. A costly commitment. Number four, finally to finish, a future perspective. 
a future perspective. It runs all the way through, doesn't it, from verse 35 to the end. Jesus is wanting us to engage in a trade-off between the present and the future. The present and the future. And it's what you learn through life, isn't it? Trying to teach children just to wait two more minutes for the ice cream. Two minutes, please wait. They can't do it. And, and the Bible just expands our perspective to say 70, 80, 90 years of waiting is nothing for the future that is coming. If you save your life now in the present, then in the future you will lose it. If you lose your life in the future, you will save it. The future, friends, the future, the future, the future is everything. What is the point of gaining the whole world in the present if tomorrow you lose your soul? What's the point of being ashamed of Jesus now if in the future Jesus is ashamed of me? Brothers and sisters, this evening is a simple, simple message. When I shrink from my cross, I shun my Savior. When I shrink from my cross, I shun my Savior. You cannot know Jesus without his cross. He comes to us clothed in words like this that say he must suffer and die. And those who follow me so too suffer and die. When my following of him is not shaped by the things which were essential to him, suffering and death, then I'm like that man in Bethsaida, aren't I? Wandering around, seeing trees, people as trees. When that happens, friends, Mark says to you this evening, simply look again. Please look again. Ask God to open your eyes, for in his kingdom, the valley is the place of vision. The valley is the place of vision, down to go up. Oh, may God help us. A new master a surprising reversal, a costly commitment, a future perspective, all because of all that is essential to him, the cross before the crown. Amen. Well, let's sing together these beautiful